Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. We've got a real exciting episode tonight. Um, Kaylin Kaler uh, from Sports Illustrated is going to be joining us here in just a little bit. Uh, definitely looking forward to talking to her. Um, she's got quite a, quite a story to tell and uh, definitely excited to hear her tell it. Uh, before we uh, get to Kaylin, definitely do want to talk a little bit about uh, Northwestern women's hoops because, oh my goodness, a 30-point win over Michigan State. Uh, sitting at number 19 in the country now. I mean, these ladies just are turning it on and turning it up. Can we please play Michigan State every week? This is this is two wins by a collective 58 points over the Spartans. And let me just remind everyone, Michigan State was ranked to start the season. So one of the things that to me sums up both Northwestern Michigan State games is at the end of this game, Jess Sancataldo was in who doesn't log heavy minutes for this team. But the fact that she was logging minutes in this game, uh, if I'm correct, that I, that was her, I believe it was her, um, was because we were just mopping the floor of Michigan State. And she was chucked to the ground in a hard foul where the officials had to go to the monitor. They ultimately didn't rule it a flagrant, I don't think. But it was pretty borderline. And I just remember watching that at the time, thinking like, if I was her, I'd be mad about that. If I was Northwestern, I'd be really mad about that. But you can kind of understand where Michigan State was <laughs> mentally. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what, 58 points they've given up? You know, that's the combined margin between two games. And and like you said, I mean, this was a team that uh, had aspirations at the start of the season and... and now firmly knows exactly where they are relative to Northwestern in the Big Ten pecking order. So, yeah, a, an exclamation point on this one for sure. Pulliam and Burton combined for 54 points. Bur- Burton has really, really been playing strong um, down, the, down the last you know month, month and a half. Um, I, I, I mean, effectively, the statistical leader for Northwestern uh, in all but points, right? Um steals assists rebounds uh she's just she's doing everything um and Lindsay with another 31 um draw drew a ton of fouls got to the free throw line 11 times um just just a great a great effort and it and as we've mentioned many times like the northwestern schedule uh yeah so at michigan uh which is effectively tomorrow well it's 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 after midnight east coast time for me so it's today uh this evening um by the time this pod gets up people you know will probably know the result of that game but by the time most of y'all are listening to this podcast but that is far and away the most difficult game left on the cats uh schedule and if they can win that they've got um three winnable home games two road games at wisconsin at osu like nobody that's really really a threat to Northwestern. No, I mean, I, they have a home game against Rutgers. who's the only team, um, in the top half of the conference. And even then, like they're seven and five in the conference, 17 and six overall. Like it's just, it's, it's, I mean, this team is a legitimate shot of going 25 and three, 26 and three, pardon me, 26 and three. That's ludicrous. Yep. It's th- this team is so good. Um, and again, it's like, just watching, again, 
remember the fact that that close win against Michigan that we talked about before. Michigan is playing good and and going on playing well right now and going on the road to them is going to be a real test. But when Northwestern plays the bottom half of the Big Ten right now, we act like a team that's twenty and three, and Michigan State is proof of that. Yeah, this team is just so damn good. Hey, other Northwestern teams, this is how you do it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, kind of on that note, you know, should we talk about the the men's collapse against Rutgers, followed by a twenty five point loss to Michigan State? Or should we interview one of the you know most exciting young reporters covering the NFL beat today? I'll take I'll take the door number two, please. Absolutely. Let, let's let's get to Kalen. Well, we are very excited to be joined tonight by Kalen Kaler, uh, writer for Sports Illustrated, um, Monday Morning Quarterback. Um, you know, spent quite a bit of time at SI. Uh, Kalen, thanks so much for joining us on the pod tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you all? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks. Um, also former Northwestern, uh, cheerleader, uh, if I recall correctly. Uh, so we, def- we definitely have some, some questions about that as well. But, uh, just to kind of dive in, um, I, I remember reading a story about how you kind of got tied in with, uh, Sports Illustrated to begin with. And, uh, could, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you met Peter King and how that kind of all got started? Yeah. So I graduated in 2015. Um, and that was the same year that the NFL draft was in Chicago for the very first time. Um, and I had interned at Sports Illustrated the previous spring of my junior year because um, Northwestern uh, has a pretty established relationship with Sports Illustrated and will send like an intern there pretty much every quarter. Um, so I was one of those interns when I was a junior and I interned at the magazine. And so I literally actually never met Peter or anybody on the MMQB staff while I was at in my internship because I was like mostly occupied with magazine stuff and and at that time we were in Midtown Manhattan at the Time Life building we were on two separate floors so it was like really separate like there was a print floor and then there was an online floor so they just didn't really interact so I never met him at that time but I go back to school for my senior year and I took a sports law class or sports yeah I think it was sports law um it was a grad school class with Lester Munson who is like the ESPN reporter who is pretty well known and he was a really good really great professor and I ended up writing a story in that class that I thought the MMQB um you know and SI.com might be interested in so then I started a relationship with one of the editors of the MMQB Matt Gagne who is no longer there he's now at a website called Sport Techie um but I started a relationship with him and then I was like, oh, hey guys, like the NFL draft is in Chicago. Like I'm not going to work for free, but I can freelance. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was like my one rule. Like I, I just never wanted to do that. Um, so I was like, listen, you have to pay me, but I'm around and you know, I'm only a short L ride from downtown Chicago. So I can help out if you need an extra hand for the draft or whatever, like, let me know. Cause I'd be more than happy to do that. So, um, I didn't know it at the time, but the assistant that Peter had at that time, like May of 2015 was actually going on to a new job. So they were in, they were essentially like scouting out a replacement, but I didn't know it. So they were like, yeah, come help us with the draft. Like, you know, we'll have Peter assign you a couple stories and go from there. And so it was Peter and Johnny Brentis at the draft. 
um, that year in Chicago. And so I was so nervous, but I went down there and I um, wrote like two stories from the draft, I think. And Peter gave me like this assignment where I felt like it was impossible. Like he was like, you have to, you can't ask these questions in a press conference. You have to find the draft prospects alone and you got to get a question into them alone. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, how am I going to do that? But somehow I figured it out because like at the draft in Chicago, there was like this labyrinth of hallways that the prospects had to walk to, to get to the press conference stage. So I basically would just follow them along this route and then ask them a question because whoever it was that was leading them was like some person working for like Tide to Go or Skittle. (laughs) And they like had no idea what was going on. So, yeah. So long story short, I did a good job at the draft, I guess. And then they did end up interviewing a couple other people for the job, um, but I won in the end. And so then I became basically our site's editorial assistant and also Peter's kind of personal assistant. So I would do everything from our social media every day, um, producing certain stories that had already been edited by like a better editor. Um, and then just putting them online on our content management system, um, writing my own stories, doing Q and A's, um, managing Peter's travel and his schedule and like all of his radio appearances and, um, you know, doing transcribing a ton of transcribing for him and for everybody on our staff and um, just a bunch of stuff like that. And it was the best start I think I could have ever asked for. Trial by fire. Yeah. Well, I just, I jumped right in. It was, it was a lot, but it was really fun. So it's funny. I have have to put aside for a second, the fact that you got to take a class at Northwestern where your professor was Lester Munson. I don't, (laughs) I don't recall having any experiences like that. I I believe I took that class as well. Uh, Oh my gosh. I'm like, I never even came. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Whatever. We're just going to put that aside. Um, So, so, but you know, it's, it is, it sounds like it was an amazing introduction to just the rigors of, the job. And then that from that, you've transitioned on to, you know, all the work that you do now. It's funny because, I mean, we talk more so than ever. Football just seems to be a year round job. Um, and it just it, it seems like the news cycle for football never stops at this point. Um, and given that, obviously, I mean, you're this is this is your your grind, your beat all year round. What do you consider the highlights of this job? you know, on a, almost like on a calendar basis, what do you find yourself looking forward to and being like, Oh, I can't wait till I get to do this. Or I can't wait until I get to do this. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm actually, so I, I feel like the answer most people would say is like the Super Bowl, but I'm really, I love the game. I love being at the actual game and covering the game, but I kind of hate everything else involved with Super Bowl week. It's just like a hot mess and like there's so much media and it's so hard to find an original story that no one else is also writing. Um, so I don't like really love the Super Bowl aside from the actual game. Cause that's always really exciting and it's so much fun to actually be there in person. Um, I love the senior bowl. I think that's an event that I really look forward to. Not really in terms of like, oh, my God, who looks the best at practice today? But in terms of that's a place where everybody goes, like all the scouts, general managers, um, not every coaching staff, but a lot of coaching staffs will go to that. And it's in Mobile, Alabama. And so it's just sort of a smaller 
Um, like the town is small in the downtown and like you can just bar hop and like run into anyone that you want to talk to in the NFL. Um, so that's really fun. And I, and there's less media at that. And so I always feel like that's a really productive week in terms of meeting scouts and meeting um, player personnel guys and just meeting anybody that you need to meet in terms of sources to learn more about what teams are doing and how the NFL works. So I really like that week. Um, I've only been to that twice now. That was in January. It's always at, um, right before the Super Bowl, the week before the Super Bowl. Um, but I always love that week. I think that's a really fun event and super productive to just run into all those decision makers and people who know a lot more about football than I do and I can learn from. Um, so I really like that. Uh, otherwise, I think I really look forward to just like, weird shit that happens and then <laughs> you know and then like writing something uh, like really reported about it like Do you have like what's an example what's okay, an example so, um like the best thing my favorite thing i've written in 2020 probably is sorry no in 2019 um was i wrote a story about the bears kickers search um I went like super long on that because they brought in famously brought in nine kickers um, to their rookie mini camp last May. And it was so weird. Like it was extremely, extremely strange. Cause like, I don't, I can't think of a single NFL team that's ever brought in that many kickers at once. Like typically you'll bring in three, maybe four, maybe, but that would be like, probably on the highest end you would ever see at like a tryout or a rookie mini camp or any kind of mini camp, veteran mini camp, OTAs, whatever, like any situation like that, like you're not going to have more than three or four kickers, but they brought in nine. And I just, it was just something that happened that I was like, I wasn't even there. I was, and I, I mean, I was in Chicago, but I wasn't at the Bears facility that day. I don't know what I was doing, but I was not paying attention and I wasn't even there. But then I, I see the news about it and I'm like, that is extremely odd. And, you know, all the reporters are writing about it in the moment and how weird that was. And obviously it was, it was because of the way they lost the season before on the missed 43 yard field goal attempt in the wild card round of the playoffs. So that's why it happened. But anyways, I just like filed that away. That was like the first weekend of May. And actually I think I was on vacation that week, but I saw it. And I was like, that's extremely odd. So I filed it away. And then when I got back from vacation and they had cut most of those kickers, um, which is the benefit of waiting is because once they're cut, then they don't really care anymore. And they'll be more open to talk to you um, and more open to like tell you what really happened, like in terms of the players themselves. So I waited for those guys to get cut. And then I just called them all. And we talked about what happened that weird weekend at Hallis Hall. And it ended up being just as weird as I thought it was. So it ended up being a really good story because it was like a, you know, a blip on the radar of like, okay, that was a weird NFL news thing. This, this was a really, this is a story that we all remember. It's a specific story because you had those guys kind of <laughs> effectively being like, this was kind of a Mickey Mouse show that yeah. was going on here. And it was, I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, if you were looking for an example into the way the Bears were operating at that time, this seemed like a pretty good window into that. Exactly. And so that's what I like doing this job is like taking like something that already happened and like revisiting it. Um, like I can't 
I don't want to say what I'm working on right now, but it's kind of a similar thing where like it already happened. Um, but I'm sort of like revisiting the thing it was that happened and trying to figure out why did this happen? And like, who were all the, what was really going on and what were people really saying and what was happening behind closed doors, just sort of taking you behind the scenes. So that's what I think is the most fascinating because even though it's like all we're doing here is football and who really gives a shit at the end of the day. um, A lot of people, as it turns out, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I have that moment all the time where I'm like every day I'm like, Oh my God, this is so stupid. Like who actually cares? Like, who, like, what does this really matter in the grand scheme of life? I always have that thought. But even though it is like, you know, it's just football, I mean, these teams operate as if it was life or death. You know, I mean, everything is just taken, like, so seriously. So you, you end up learning, like, so many interesting things from, like, revisiting, like, the inner workings of an NFL team. It's just fascinating. And I feel like I learn something new, like, every time I do a story like that where I'm just like, whoa, okay. Um, I, so that's I, I can't wait to read that piece when it, when it comes out. That, you got me, yeah. you know, real excited <laughs> about that. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll see. I've been working on it a long time, and it keeps getting, like, shelved for something more pressing. But it's going to come out. It'll It'll come out. <laughs> I'm curious to jump on something else that you wrote. Um, you're, you're bringing up the Bears made me think about this. Uh, back in December around Patrick Mahomes and what could have been for the Bears. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm really curious about, just just given his meteoric performance of the last two years and winning the Super Bowl, everything, like, could he really have done that with the Bears? Um, could he have really been that good in that in that environment, in that situation? I don't think so. Um... I mean, would he be better than Mitch Trubisky? Absolutely. But uh, I think Mitch, I mean, the Bears had a plan. Like, the Chiefs had a plan. They had coach stability. They um, knew exactly the offense that they wanted to run with him, and he fit exactly into that. And so he was the perfect fit for them. And Andy Reid was going to be there. His job was not, you know, threat. So they had like, and they had Alex Smith already, who they knew was going to start that season for them. So they had no reason to rush Patrick or freak him out by, you know, starting him week four, week five, or whatever it was in Chicago. So I think the situation around Mitch was just, there was no plan. Um, I think they thought they had a plan with Mike Glennon, but it all crumbled. And I think that definitely affected Mitch. And I think the fact that John Fox was fired after that season also affected him because that he had to learn a new offense the next year after he was not even comfortable in the first one for his first year. So, you know, I think if Mahomes had been in that situation as well, I think, He'd still be good, but he would not be what we see today. And I and I don't think like the Bears would have won the Super Bowl this year. Well, well, we're just as happy that that's that's how it played out too, because it, it's put um, a, a favorite of ours from several years ago, Northwestern, Mike Kafka, in the in the in the spotlight, right? As yeah. as the QB coach who's been working with Patrick and uh, like, I, have have you had a chance to um, to cover their relationship at all or explore that in any way, shape, or form? 
Yeah, I haven't officially like written anything about it. Um, but it is kind of interesting because um his name Mike's name has been sort of out there as a, you know, potential head coach in the future, even though he's just a quarterback's coach right now. Um, you know, he's certainly like a hot name in NFL, you know, coaching circles, which is really awesome. And I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with the work that he has done with Patrick and the fact that Andy Reid um, has just produced a lot of head coaches out of there, including Matt Nagy um, with the Bears and Doug Peterson with the Eagles. And, you know, hopefully next season, Eric Bieniemy, their um, offensive coordinator right now, hopefully he'll get a head coaching job. But there's sort of an established, like, pipeline from Andy Reid's Chiefs to a head coaching game. So I think it, won't, it will not be very long before we see Mike um, out there uh, as a head coach. But as far as his relationship with Patrick, um, one sort of inside football detail that I think is interesting is um, every NFL quarterback will have a quarterback coach, a private coach that they will kind of go to in the off season or even sometimes work with during the season just to make sure they're, you know, staying up to date, up to speed with their mechanics and things like that. And so the guy who works with Mahomes, his name is Jeff Christensen. Um, he's actually based in Chicago with his son. I can't remember his son's name. Um, but his son was a college quarterback, the same age as Mike Kafka. Um, and they actually, like, were committing the colleges, like, based off of the other one, like, off of the other Christensen. So then Mike went to Northwestern when uh, the other Christensen, can't remember his first name, but I think he went to Iowa. Um, anyways, so Kafka worked closely. His private quarterback coach when he was in the league was Jeff Christensen. And, you know, Jeff worked with him and was basically able to kind of, like, extend his NFL playing career, even though he was only a backup in several different teams and kind of a journeyman backup, he was able to extend his playing career to the point where he could be vested like five years. Um, So Mike has a relationship with Jeff. And so then Jeff started working with Patrick um, before the draft uh, of 2017. And because Mike and Jeff already have a close relationship, it's, a lot of times like the private quarterback coach will use totally different terminology than the team's quarterback coach. So that can lead to like some confusion with like hearing different messaging from the team versus your private QB coach. But because uh, Mike was coached by Jeff, he uses Jeff's terminology and that's how he speaks as a coach. And that's really kind of the mindset that he's coming from. So I was talking to Jeff a lot about this at the senior bowl. And he was saying that he thinks that, it's really been helpful to Pat because instead of hearing two different words or two different messages and kind of coaches like competing with each other, he's hearing kind of one message. He's hearing one thing from the both of them. Um, so I think that has been really smart too, just to, you know, help everybody stay on the same page and get that extra help for Pat while also like maintaining the same, um, drills in the same system with the chiefs that is pretty fascinating because it's it's one of those things where it sort of goes to the question that we're all asking which is always well what is the connection between kafka and pat mahomes exactly how much because it's so hard to know and it's kind of the larger thing of the question that everyone's asking with 
multiple NFL teams, but certainly the Chiefs, which is like how much of it is Mahomes, how much right. of it is the coaches, how much of it's everything. Because we're all like, look, you know, we're Northwestern people. We'd love for everyone to believe that Kafka is the secret sauce that is making it all right. go. But right. I mean, right. but I mean, clearly a lot of it is is I mean, a ton of it is obviously Mahomes and Andy Reid and everyone else. But that's cool because it shows that there's that there is a special thing that clearly Kafka is an important part of this um this like right the 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 system that's making it all go and the synthesis between quarterback coach which like you you brought that up but I mean I think a lot of people probably don't even think about that that right. quarterbacks have um a quarterback they work of in the off season um it's funny in making kind of a a rough pivot here but I guess you could say a pivot in terms of thing well-oiled machines to machines that who knows how oiled they are um you you know just recently put out a piece on the XFL and kind of getting people up to speed. Okay. What are the differences, et cetera. I'm kind of curious, first of all, um, you know, obviously you working for sports illustrated and you being an NFL reporter, to what extent is sports illustrated looking at the XFL and saying, all right, we're going to carve out X amount of time, you know, like kind of like Mm -hmm. to what, to what extent is it the sideshow and to what extent is it like, okay, we're going to get involved to this kind of level, et cetera. That's a good question. I think um, we definitely wanted to have something about it for the opening weekend, just because we knew people were going to be Googling it. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, I mean, literally like I wrote that in probably like two hours. It was, I didn't do really any reporting for it. I just, you know, read about it <laughs> and then I wrote it and I was like okay what NFL players are there let me you know put this together it wasn't really like a reported piece that was like not a ton of effort in terms of like writing a story but I think that got like 200,000 clicks so wow. like yeah people were like really trying to understand because there are a bunch of rules changes and most of them are very straightforward but um they're really interesting. And, and so we wanted to definitely have something about that out there. And then we had Connor or he wrote something on Monday, just sort of like recapping, like, well, how did it go? How, how did the weekend go? Um, and I'm, I have one XFL feature that I'm trying to do next week, actually. So I'm still kind of in the middle of planning it and seeing if it'll work out. But um, I pitched that one that was not assigned to me, but we, I think the way we view it is like seriously, but also, you know, we're not going to really devote a ton of resources to it because there are, you know, the combine's coming up, the draft is coming up. This is going to be a crazy free agency period starting soon with so many quarterbacks um, that are becoming free agents that are important pieces that are all going to start falling. So, or the dominoes will all start falling pretty soon. So I don't think we're going to be devoting, like we're certainly not covering the games individually. Um, but, you know, I think we will have a couple XFL features out there and be paying attention to it to see if there's anything more we can cover. And I think from an NFL perspective, like I was just talking to somebody who is basically like a football, like research assistant for a team which I don't really exactly it's basically like they study the rules of the game almost and like stats and things like that and I was asking him like oh well what do you think about the XFL like do you think 
the NFL is going to consider any of these rules, rules changes seriously um, and which ones. And he said, you know, kickoff is the changes that the XFL made to kickoff. The NFL is really going to be taking a close look at, which is um, basically that the two sides line up. I think it's only like five yards apart. Yeah. It's like the 30 and the 35 of the receiving team, I believe. Yes. And then they cannot move. Is it until the ball is kicked? Is that no, they can't move until the re- till the returner touches, touches the ball, it. or I think right. three or four seconds after it touches the ground. Got it. Okay, I was confusing because the punt is the one where they can't move until it's caught. I think. Right. It's um, yeah. The it's it's funny. I I was thinking about that specific thing because I was rewinding to back when we were. Uh, in college, uh, shouts to the Chicago Enforcers uh, was the original. Yeah. Remember, I remember going to raiding Coles for discount Chicago Enforcers jerseys after the original XFL folded. But uh, I, I actually, but I, think, I actually was credentialed media for the Las Vegas Outlaws. So that yeah. helps. Wow. But but it's funny the the original XFL. I think one of the big things that people remember, the one of the big takeaways from that was the sky cam. And the reason I bring that up is I think one of the things that struck me about watching that the new kickoff is optically it just looks good. Yeah. Uh, you have all these guys standing face up with each other. They're ready to go. It's almost like an actual play being run. And that was the kind of thing where I, I mean, I, I get it from a metric standpoint, but also kind of not unlike the sky cam. The NFL has the ability to kind of sit back, right, and say – Ooh, I like that. Looks good. That right. looks good. Um, right. Then pillage whatever they want. <laughs> the NFL is it's it's funny because it is the one major sports league in the U.S. that doesn't have it. It doesn't have a great test bed, and I get. I mean, I guess college is is the best thing they have, right? But right. um, I, like I think about the NHL, and Sam and I are big hockey fans, and they have used you know minor league hockey as as a test bed for you know, really extreme rule changes, especially, you know, the way they restructured overtime a couple of years ago, and they've been really been able to really effectively test and try things. And my, my biggest observation, I think you hit on it in your article about the XFL and how they, they just seem to be taking it more seriously this time. And they, they don't want to be a, a spectacle in the way that they wanted to be a spectacle back in, in 2002 or whenever that was. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, and, and, it, it it feels it feels like there's an actual opportunity for for more of more of a partnership at least behind closed doors with the NFL to to try things or or uh, trade ideas back and forth um, and it's I don't know it's kind of exciting like spring football has kind of been like the unicorn right that that mm-hmm. has been tried so many different times and always fails so who knows like I I, I guess I'm kind of rooting for the XFL um, if nothing else it's interesting yeah and I think by taking it seriously like I think it does have a good chance to sustain itself because they took the time to get it together. Unlike the AAF, I can't mm-hmm, remember yep. the abbreviation right that that league last year. Yeah, um, they really rushed that one out, and so the XFL took their time. They have significant funding, and instead, like when you're a spectacle, you can't really like sustain an audience. Like because it's just gonna die out at some point. But I think this quality football i think the quarterback play is like probably the biggest um uh negative is just there's just not enough like really good quarterbacks to make the quarterback play impressive 
Well, isn't um, that isn't that the case just across the board though, right? Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I think they, I think their first weekend was a really good sign, and I think it's going to be. I think it's their future is pretty positive. Are, do you, as as a Northwestern alum, Northwestern fan, are you aware of like all of the Northwestern former Northwestern players in the XFL? Or kind of keep tabs on because like, there's like the three defensive yeah. guys with the Seattle team, Flynn Nagel yep. with uh, Dallas, I believe. Yeah, and then Hunter Niswander. I was like, what? The punter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Taking for DC. I forgot about him, and then I heard his name, and I was like, oh, that guy sounds familiar. Um, so yeah, he's out there too. There's so many, which I think is awesome because, um, you know, I think it'll give them a shot to get noticed and see what they can do. Um, but yeah, it's so funny. And, uh, Northwestern has, I mean, I literally was just joking with a couple scouts the other day who are both Northwestern, um, and, or they both have some affiliation to Northwestern. I'll just say that. And I was like, um, I was saying we should have a Northwestern NFL summit at some point because there are a ton of scouts that have Northwestern connections. There are, you know, coaches out there um, like Christian Jones, who was my year at Northwestern. He was a receiver. Um, he's now quality control with the Vikings, which is really cool. Um, That's awesome. I didn't know that. I yeah. was going to say, Scuzz, how do we not know that? <laughs> yeah, there. Um, well, this was his first season i believe i think he started no you know what that's not true uh, no i think he was hired about a year ago because i ran into him at the combine last year and he was working there so but i think this was his first like full season um because he was at texas before as a grad assistant and then he ended up with the Vikings. so yeah he's in minnesota doing quality control which is you know lowest on the totem pole but like such a good way to build your way up um hanging and- out with the foddy it's right. Exactly. Um, he had a great season. He did. Um, so, yeah. And then you've got the Packers, which have so many Northwestern players right now. Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Vitaly, um, Ibrahim Campbell was there. Um, you know, Mark Murphy, the president, who was the athletic director at Northwestern. So there's really, I mean, it's great. Like, it's, the Northwestern connection has helped me, you know, make sources and build connections with people all, all across the NFL. That's it's, I mean, it is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I guess I haven't, wouldn't have even thought of that. Or I, I guess I'd be curious because I think when people think about Northwestern and sports media, they tend to think of like Northwestern, there are Northwestern journalists everywhere, right. but now you actually have that benefit to be like, Hey, I'm Northwestern, you're Northwestern, how about an interview? Yeah, and you don't necessarily have, like, an all-pro player, but there are, you know, there's guys out there with a bunch of different teams, and there's guys in coaching, and there's guys in scouting, and there's a, they're all really smart and, like, going to be going places. So um, it's exciting. So I have one question where – we're going to make a, a fun pivot in a second to something else that we really want to talk about. One last question I had relative to kind of the NFL beat, but just Sports Illustrated in general and the work that you do. Um, we've previously had um, Rohan Nadkarni on the pod, um, who also you know works for SI now. And we were we got to thinking about this this week because another recent alum, in fact, someone who's got to be pretty similar in age to you, Roger Sherman at The Ringer, mm-hmm. um, 
The Ringer this week, you know, was announced as being sold to Spotify. Obviously, in the case of Sports Illustrated, you've got things happening at the corporate level, you know, over the past couple of years that have been kind of news in their own right. And we we were just kind of wondering, you know, for a reporter, um, to what extent, if any, does this affect your day to day? I mean, you're talking about this huge, you know, everything that's laid out for you for the spring and everything. Does any of that you know, corporate noise filter in in any way, or is it just something that just is 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 not a factor? Yeah, so I think Rohan Rohan um, is also same year as me, um, which is fun. And we actually have one more, Jeremy Wu, who oh yeah, yeah, he covers the NBA. He was also our year. So there's three of us um, survivors. We're still there. We're all still standing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, I mean it's been a really stressful year. The layoffs were awful. Um, and some of the people that we laid off on our staff, specifically NFL, were completely just mind-bogglingly stupid. Like, I don't know if any, if you guys read any of Andy Benoit's stuff, but oh yeah, oh of course, Andy Benoit was Andy Benoit will be hired by an NFL team in the next couple weeks. That's like the kind of brain that he is. Like he knows the game better than anyone on our staff in a way that no one on our staff cares to know the game because none of us have the skill set or the desire to watch every single game and go over that tape. That's what he would do every single week. So he was like a savant and we laid him off and we were just, I mean, it made no sense because nobody else on our staff can try to do that. Like none of us have that skill. It's a very, specific skill set and none of us could fill that so that is a giant hole in our coverage currently that we haven't replaced and um Andy like went and consulted for an NFL team after he was laid off which honestly it's probably the best thing that could have happened to him because now he was always really respected by coaches and um NFL staff and they would like anybody he'd get anybody to meet with him and talk football because everybody just thought he was so smart and like loved his ideas and so now, you know, he's actually probably going to end up working for a team, which is awesome. But, you know, that's a big hole in our coverage. So I think um, it has been stressful. And the biggest difference, and it's still a little bit confusing as to, like, exactly how the roles um, play out. But we have, like, reporters now that are freelance reporters that cover each individual NFL team and they have them for like college basketball, college football, baseball, NBA, every sport. So there's one person for like every team and they're covering that team specifically. So like, you know, here in Chicago, there's a guy who covers the bears specifically. So um, technically that should make um, our national writers jobs easier. Like myself, because we, you know, we're not, we don't have to write about, you know, okay. Like the bears traded for, a different cornerback or something, you know, like we don't have to worry about not super pressing news that happens like every day with different teams. So that would fall more to like the beat reporter. And so that kind of frees us up to do more bigger features and investigative stuff and um, profiles and more uh, reporting intensive, um, longer, you know, more involved stories. So I think that's probably the biggest difference is before we didn't have um, the team by team freelancers. Um, and there was maybe more of 
a pressure to respond and react to like every headline. Um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest difference. In, it's it's <laughs> this is so funny because there I feel like we could talk NFL and the intricacies of NFL and covering the NFL and we could go like an hour and a half on this alone. Yeah. Um, it's just so funny because we we wanted to talk as much NFL as we could, but then there's this whole other side that that is just it's it's funny, but it's just amazing where uh, you I mean, I, you would know this better than we would. You're the most famous Northwestern cheerleader yeah. <laughs> that I can that I can think of. Um, yeah, I mean, and, I, I don't know I'm and, think if there's anybody else. But cheerleading kind of happens to be having a moment right now, as it were. Um, oh, and you yeah. Were, a Netflix were, moment. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and you were you were tweeting about it, um, you know, as late as this week. Sam and I were laughing because Sam and I have both watched every episode of Cheer. And we decided to have you on. And then we happened to be looking at Twitter this week and being like, oh, this is great. You just finished watching it. I um, did. Um, that was an amazing series. One, you know, one thing um, that I was curious about just because I happened to read a specific tweet um, and it sort of dovetails with something we were talking about earlier. You specifically made the tweet and this is something I had specifically thought about watching it, which was that they are X times national champions and X times grand national champions. But the the if they're not grand national champions, the national championship for Navarro cheer is effectively a two team competition between Navarro and, Tri- uh, yeah. and Trinity. And I was curious, as a journalist, does that make you more hyper aware to things like that? Where you're like, this is not the full story. I literally got into so many arguments this week because all of my friends <laughs> like didn't want to hear it. <laughs> I talked to probably like six people because I was so upset. Like I was, I was like, I was really mad about this because, okay, like I thought, I thought that a docu series would be held to the same standard as like a, a story, like a reported story. But after arguing with my friends, they were like, "No, it's entertainment. Like I don't watch a documentary thinking that it's presented without agenda, without an agenda or without a narrative." And I was like, that's interesting because when I watch a documentary or docuseries like Cheer, like obviously it's the people telling their own stories, but I think it's a director's job to still like present the facts. And it was just so weird to me that like there was an entire episode about that, that included a whole segment about Trinity Valley, which is their only competitor and it never referenced the fact that it was their only competitor. They just kept calling it a rival. And I'm sure that there were edits from the interviews where the cheerleaders or the coach mentioned it was their only competitor. And, I, yeah, so I didn't want to take away. There's still a great cheer team. They're still an amazing cheer team. But to me, it felt like this director, who I love this director, he also did Last Chance You if you watched that series on Netflix that had like three seasons about junior college football, which was an amazing series. But I just felt like it was his job to make it clear how this competition worked. And it wouldn't have killed the narrative because 
a whole part of the story was how they compete against themselves because they are the best and they view themselves as the real competition because they can only beat themselves. So you can make that part of the narrative stronger by saying they only have one competitor. <laughs> there, it's sort of like it's sort of like it's like if there was Ohio State and Michigan, but the rest of the Big Ten didn't exist. That would be an important yeah. detail to include, right? Yeah, I just felt totally cheated, and I don't <laughs> think any less of Navarro cheer, but I think a lot less of the director and the process because he purposely left that out. Like he purposely diluted all of us like I don't know I just was really mad about it yeah I do think I think about it differently because I am a journalist and like I take the truth like so seriously and I would like never misrepresent something on purpose for the sake of like creating a better story like that's just wrong I I just I just have to say this at the risk of of losing a quarter of our audience did did you know that all of the scenes with Lexi attending the rave actually happened well before she was kicked out of Navarro College. This is just a random other thing. Oh this God, is really? uh, this is as this this is as a, a giant portion of our listenership is saying, "What are you talking about? What can I? What can I? What can I say, people? If you liked Last Chance, you, which most of you watched, you better yeah. be watching Cheer because it's every bit as good. Yeah, uh, I think it's better, honestly, but you know. It's just as good. So, uh, just you know, as people are, are watching Cheer, and um, you know, I was watching with my wife, and she's like, what, "Is is Northwestern at Daytona?" And I'm like, "I don't think so." Uh, no, yeah. No. How did how did like Northwestern Cheer compare to what we're seeing, you know, from Navarro or from you know other other schools in the Big Ten, even? Yeah. So um, we don't compete. That's the biggest difference. So we would not be at Daytona because we're just not a competitive team. And I don't exactly know why that is, but I'm pretty sure it probably has to do with Title IX because if you're like just the sports that Northwestern has, like um, I don't know if they would have to add a a male sport if they added women's cheer as an official sport. Like we get varsity letters. So in that sense, we're considered athletes and you know, we have a lot of the same benefits as the athletes do, like, you know, access to tutors and access to registering for classes early. And, you know, we travel with a football team. Um, we'll travel with basketball. If they have a postseason, you know, NCAA tournament or NIT tournament. We travel to the Big Ten tournament for basketball. So we do a lot of, like, game travel. Um, so we miss a lot of class and we practice three times a week. But, um so it's still a big commitment, but we are not really like full on athletes because we don't compete. So we're not, you know, if you went to like Northwestern NUSports.com, like we're not listed as a sport because I think, I guess it would probably have to do with something with Title IX if you were going to add cheer as a full on like competitive sport at Northwestern. You'd probably have to like make some changes there. So yeah, I don't exactly know why that is, but yeah, we don't compete. And I think you know, we're definitely, because we don't compete, we're definitely not as advanced as um, a lot of other Big Ten schools. And I think that's also because as a private school, there's just less cheerleaders. Like we have less, you know, we have less student body. So there's less people that have cheerleading experience or are interested in it. So, you know, a lot of times to get guys 
like, I think they have a few guys on the team right now. When I was on the team, we like didn't have any guys. So it's harder to get guys. Cause you have to like go recruit at like the gym or something and be like, Hey, like we need some muscle. Like do you want to join the cheer squad? <laughs> so, you know, they actually like have to go like recruit people. Whereas like at a bigger big 10 school, um, I think there's just more students and more of a culture of that. Whereas like at a private school, you know, you just have less people to pick from. And I actually didn't even have any cheer experience. I was a dancer. Um, and when I was a freshman, they folded the dance team into the cheer team. So I kind of was like, all right, let me give it a shot. Let's see how it goes. And um, I liked it. And it was like pretty easy for me to pick up. And I was not a flyer. I was a base. I was a back spot. So I, there's three people that are bases. So I was the person in the back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we don't do as advanced stuff, but we certainly do pyramids. You know, we do a lot of the stuff that you would see on cheer. And like, I was having like PTSD watching cheer because <laughs> when you drop someone, it's just, it's brutal. Like it is the worst feeling on earth. And, you know, we didn't drop people a lot, but there were probably two or three times in my career there where we dropped a flyer and, you know, it would not be one person's fault, but it was like, you know, several people and we never had a serious injury, but it was just horrible. And our coach would make us run laps instead of push-ups and cheer. But yeah, I mean, it's just brutal. It's just like the craziest. Whenever I watch cheerleading now, I'm like, oh my God, I would never do that again. It's, it's so it's really funny listening to you recount all that because up until you got to the to to the last part about you know some of the PTSD and the craziness of the stunts etc y- your experience sounded very familiar to what Sam and I experienced in Numb um, doing marching band in Northwestern oh, yeah. right I mean you compare Northwestern's marching band to the Ohio State band or Michigan you know right. we we'd be outnumbered two to one with just about any other Big Ten band on the field and, and right. you're right it comes down to a culture student body thing. We were, you know, anybody who was willing to march around with a sousaphone, like you didn't even need to play it. Like you were in, um, (laughs) but like with the exception of maybe some, I don't know, some, some high stepping in the summer heat in, in, uh, rural Wisconsin, we didn't have a lot of, um, a lot of tough stuff to deal with. Sam, I don't know if you, I don't know if you feel differently. Uh, no, I, I think that that's, that's true. I mean, I was able to march my entire senior year like on crutches and a walking boot so (laughs) oh my god yeah i will say my favorite one of my favorite stories um which actually i wanted to make this point like i know you guys talk a lot about women's basketball on here because they're so good right now um they have like always been my favorite team at northwestern of all the teams because um joe McCune is such a good human being um and the proof of that is that, you know, a lot of times as like cheerleaders, like, you know, fits that thank you like twice to us, you know, which was nice. Like we don't ask to be noticed or anything, but you know, there were a couple of times where he was like, thanks ladies, like good work, whatever. Um, but you know, we hardly, you know, he hardly recognized us and, you know, uh, coach, uh, Collins and, um, who was before him, Carmody. Carmody. And it really, you know, we never really interacted with him. They didn't really stop and say like, Hey, appreciate you or anything like that, which again, like not asking for that, but, but McEwen, um, because, you know, there are less crowds at women's basketball, like they really appreciate the cheerleaders and the environment that we created a game. 
because we're loud for them. Um, so there were a couple times where after a big win, um, he would invite us into their locker room. Um, and we would get to go into their locker room after a win and, you know, here be part of like the huddle and be part of like his, Hey, great work type of speech, whatever it was. And then he would like call us out and be like, and thanks so much to the cheerleaders for continuing to like create such a great home environment for us. And like, that was so nice. Like I literally like teared up. Like it was just so fabulous and so different than like the other coaches there. Um, so that was, that's why I like love him and like would do anything for women's basketball. And then in 2015, when they went to the NCAA tournament, um, you know, going back to Netflix cheer, there was like one interview where they're talking about how like when it's done, it's just done and you can't do it again. Like there's nothing left for you. Like you're done as a cheerleader when you exhaust your eligibility. And so we went to the 2015 NCAA tournament with them. And they got out in the first round, a really close game. I think it was Arkansas that we played or Arkansas State or something. Um, One of the two. Um, And it was a super close game. And they ended up losing. And I just remember, like, bawling my eyes out um, on the the sideline, on the the baseline. Because it was just so sad because it was over for me. And it was over for them. And, like, we were at every game for this women's team. So you feel like you're part of the team almost because – you're there for like every game and you're up close and personal. And then on the flight home from there, um, I don't know if you guys remember Maggie Lyon, who was a key player on that team. Um, I think she was a junior at the time. So she still had another season, but she like stood up and gave this huge speech and she was crying on the plane back. And like, you know, she thanked the band who had also come and she thanked the cheerleaders. And we were like, Oh my God like we're really part of it um so that was really nice and I'll always love women's basketball for that because none of the men's teams like ever cared really yeah I I know I always loved uh you know being in the band for women's basketball uh calling the games on WNUR and then my senior year I actually got to play on the women's basketball practice squad oh nice so you know like the women's team has been very near and dear to my heart. And it, I am so excited. Like, and, and we, we talk about this every, every week, just how excited I, we all are about how amazing these ladies are doing this year. And just, uh, the, the opportunity, the, the possibility to host an NCAA tournament game yeah. is there. And that's just, that's just so fantastic. That's so cool. I went to their WNIT game at home last year, which was, awesome as well that was a great game um and i think i'm gonna go to the game on sunday i'm planning on it i i I i'm thinking about i'm I'm possibly gonna take my whole family so that that yeah definitely on the table it's so funny you know one of the things that we had you know queued up and things we wanted to ask you about was the biggest Northwestern moment you were a part of as a cheerleader. And I think that's, that answer seems pretty straightforward now. I mean, it's, it's just because I think what's interesting is, is I, I think maybe something we'd even consider when we were thinking about the question is we're thinking in terms of proximity, right? Whereas like, okay, you're a cheerleader, therefore you have a great spot to view moment X, but what you're describing is something beyond that. I mean, it's, it's something immersive. It's like, you are a part of the moment. Um, 
something that goes beyond even what someone would see on the court in kind of a a slightly similar vein. I mean, this doesn't directly relate to cheerleading, but I think, you know, you, you spend a fair amount of time, right. Working as a communications intern within the athletic department, right. For um, volleyball and, and wrestling. Um, And I was curious about the, like, what, what, kind of moments or special moments, two things. One, what, what kind of special moments did you get to see, you know, through close proximity to sports that honestly volleyball, wrestling, et cetera, aren't drawing, you know, the same kind of eyeballs right. uh, and other people wouldn't be at those things. Um, and then, um, well, I guess the second part would be, you know, we're kind of curious about how working for that long within an athletic department and being on the communication side of it, um, you know, informed the work that you ended up doing on the journalism side of it. But I guess the, you know, the first question again would go back to, you know, anything in particular that jumps out that something you got to witness or be a part of, you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I was at, I did, I was basically like a, you know, kind of assistant SID for volleyball my senior year. And I love watching volleyball. I mean, I think it's just like a super underrated sport that like people don't, watch but like should because it's so exciting um I can't remember you know I don't think they were super good that year they were kind of middle of the big 10 conference I believe so I don't think we had any major upset or anything like that I think we played Penn State really close and Penn State is like top of the top of the top of women's volleyball and has a great history there um I don't know how many times they've won the national championship but like many times in the last you know 15 years or so so um I think we paid, played Penn State super close one year I don't think we won um but that was exciting um nothing in particular of volleyball super stands out other than the fact that it's just a really fun and exciting sport that I'm glad I got a chance to watch because I never had a, I never like was bored <laughs> it was always like super fast like taking stats for volleyball is like almost impossible um, because the action just moves so quickly and you hardly have any time to catch up. Um, so that was hard and that was a good experience. And then in terms of like how it's informed my job as a journalist now, um, that's a good question. Um, now I'm very much of the mindset of like, oh my God, I could never work for a team. And I just would rather do anything else just because of like, bad experiences that I've had with PR people in the last five years. But when I worked at Northwestern, I, I mean, I had a, such a great time. It was really, it was really, um, I learned a lot from seeing like how things work from the inside. So I think it just gives me a better understanding of like what, I think it gives me a better understanding of like what the job of a PR person and somebody who works for a team or a school is and so then I can sort of put myself in their shoes when I'm having you know a disagreement or you know frustrations of some kind with someone because you know our jobs are sort of pitted against each other like yeah we work together but when it comes to a hard story we're basically like almost enemies in a way like we are both trying to accomplish different things and like the PR person's job is to get the best narrative out there so if you're writing something truthful that is negative, then you're going to be an opponent. Um, so I think it's given me, one, a really good understanding, like, how things function. And then, two, just, like, better um, ability to, like, 
see the other side if I am having some kind of disagreement. That makes total sense. And we kind of, I kind of figured it was like that. And I was kind of thinking, I mean, I, again, I don't know, we're biased, but part of me wants to say that even compared to other athletic departments and SIDs, you know, within the big 10, I don't know. We're always, I feel like we're always going to try to be biased towards like, well, Northwestern's a special place. That's why. That's why Kaylin, because you worked at Northwestern and not any other place. Right. And obviously I love the um, Northwestern staff that I worked with. That's still there. They're all amazing. But you know, have I ever written something negative about Northwestern? No. So (laughs) until I do, I, you know, won't be able to, you know, really answer that question unbiased. So obviously, so you talked about like your fandom for the women's basketball team in the past, right? For volleyball, et cetera. Obviously, I mean, even as a cheerleader, much like when we were in the band, like you get you get sucked into the cult of fandom across the spectrum of NU sports, right? Like, but in your in your current day to day, it's got to be hard to keep up with any of it. Um, how how has your fandom evolved? Like like do you, do you, do you manage to stay close to some of it? Is it is it only through the lens of of kind of your NFL life that, that you're staying connected to like Northwestern football, for example, like how does that play out for you day to day? Um, yeah, I do a really good job of following football. Um, mostly because, uh, I have season tickets. Um, so I'll usually be at those games, um, unless I'm traveling for, you know, an NFL game or another college game or something. And it's been really nice. Shout out to the Northwestern, um, athletic department and communications department because they will credential me. So not only do I have my season tickets, but I can go into the press box and sort of network with all the scouts. And for example, at the Ohio state game this year, there were like five general managers in attendance, which is probably a personal record for Northwestern and, and sadly had nothing to do with Northwestern, but everything to do with the fact that it was a Friday night game, which GMs can go to because um they're they're not traveling to an NFL game yet so they have Friday nights free and Ohio State was pretty good this year so they had a lot of good players um so you know in that situation like I was able to network with scouts and GMs in the press box so that's something awesome that you know Northwestern has also helped me out with a lot because I wasn't writing about that game so you know technically um didn't have an actual journalism production purpose up there um but yeah so that's been great and then um I so I follow football pretty closely um just because it's easy to it's easiest to do that and then the rest of the sports I mean I haven't watched a single men's basketball game so all I know is that they're not very good well Um, if you enjoy watching team watching a team blow lead game after game after game in the exact same fashion then you know right yeah, so haven't paid much attention to them, but obviously in 16 during their run to the tournament, I went to those games in Salt Lake City. So, um, you know, I'll prioritize it when they're good, but until then, I'm going to let it slide. No, knowing you stay pretty close to football, and I realize we're, 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 we've been going, we've been, we've been keeping you, uh, on, on quite long tonight, but, um, but this has been an awesome conversation. Do you, do you have some quick thoughts on, on the Bajakian hire? 
Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't really think anything of it, which is probably fine. Um, I don't know. I wasn't, like, really excited, nor was I like, oh, that's a horrible hire. Um, I feel like I just don't – I don't know that much about him. I did know, you know, obviously he worked with Jameis in Tampa Bay because of Lovey. Like, he was kind of connected with Lovey Smith there and with the Bears. Um, so I did, like, recognize his name and was like, okay, yeah, I know who that is. Um, but I think it's probably in the end, probably, I'm just glad to have anybody else to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been, no offense to McCall. I'm sure he's a great guy. I think I've interviewed him like once, but you know, he's a great person, but I mean, that, that was overdue by like five years in my opinion. So I'm glad that somebody else is going to take the job because it needed to happen. And that's probably the only good, the only silver lining of this season is that now we can have a new offense and a new play caller. Um, So that's good. So I feel good about it mostly just because it's anybody else. Um, But I do think it's good that like, you know, he's not, he's not necessarily like, Oh, he's going to come do an air raid offense here Mm -hmm. or, some really dramatic change. Like he's, it's not going to be that. And I think honestly, that's probably for the best. Um, you know, and there are examples of players he's, he's had in the past that he's featured because he's recognized talent, you know, Travis Kelsey. And um, when he was in central Michigan, he had Antonio Brown. Um, so obviously we don't have an Antonio Brown on our roster, but uh, you know, I think he'll be able to get the most out of the guys that we have. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Um, I still am, like, not really sure, like, what is going on with Hunter Johnson and, like, what happened to him this past season because I felt like – I don't know what you guys thought of the news, like, that, you know, he had left because his mom was dealing with breast cancer, and I totally believe that, but I just felt like that was kind of odd. I just feel like it's not the full story this whole time. I mean, uh, when when have we ever gotten the full story out of out of uh, <laughs> Pat Fitzgerald coach team? Right. Is, is the thing. Yeah, we're yeah. That's it's that's the that's the thing. To to your point, I I can imagine if Northwestern can can shake that off and continue on an an upward trajectory, there's going to be a moment pre NFL draft pre whenever where you're going looking for a story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you right. run it you run into the stone wall that is Pat Fitzgerald. Uh I can only imagine. Um but yeah, no, I mean I mean the amount the amount of words we have exhausted on the Hunter Johnson conundrum and everything uh, involved with that. I you know I've we've I want Marty. I want Marty as my starter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to win. Watch it. Wait wait for it. He'll win that draft. Well, I mean, spring practice is starting up pretty soon, so, you know, we'll get a little bit of news here and there. He's he's tall. He's a tall, statuesque brunette quarterback. He'll be a he'll be a, a QB coach in the NFL soon enough. That's right. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Well, Caitlin, we don't want to take up uh, your entire evening. Um, thank you so much for coming on with us. And if you're at the football games, you got to swing by our tailgate and come say hi next season. I will. I'll do that. Uh, that's Caitlin Kaler from Sports Illustrated. Uh, th- again, thank you so much for, for coming on uh, the pod tonight. Uh, really, really good stuff.
Um, yeah, just she, gosh, she's got some amazing stories. Google Kaylin Kaler and like one of the one of the immediate links that pops up is a link to all of her articles at SI. Um, it's a great walk back through the NFL season. She's got good stuff on the Senior Bowl and obviously be in, be involved with draft, et cetera, et cetera, coming up. So, um, absolutely somebody that you should be paying attention to. I just, you know, we talked about so many fun things. One of the things that just to, to revisit is her, her story about the Northwestern, I mean, about the Chicago Bears kickers is everything that's good journalism is supposed to be. She saw a story where other people didn't see a story and went and got a bunch of those kicked out kickers. And that's a story, even if you didn't remember her on the byline, if you're a Bears fan and you read that story, you remember that story because we were all sitting there being like, like, what is going on? What carnival sideshow are the Bears running? Because she had all these kickers who had been just, you know, in for that tryout release being like, you know, we didn't even know what was going on. And yeah, like we couldn't even tell like what they were evaluating us based on and what the standards were. And it was just great. Can, can you was... hit a 43 yard field goal? Is really what it was? Yeah, right. And, and, but I mean, it was such an illuminating article. And I mean, that's exactly the good reporting. Still a little bitter that, uh, that, she got to take a class with Lester Munson, though. I'm still a little bitter about that. <laughs> weren't, weren't no, hey, Medill, weren't no Lester Munson there when I was there. I'm just saying, okay? So before we go, uh, we should probably talk about uh, the Mark D'Antonio Michigan State situation. I know last week it was all just sort of breaking. Um, D'Antonio gone. Mel Tucker, uh, Colorado or former Colorado head coach, uh, takes the job at Michigan State after Fickle uh, declined. Narduzzi uh, was briefly discussed, declined. Uh, I mean, I mean Matt Campbell after, declined. After everybody declined, including Mel Tucker. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Um, they, you know, they they went back to Mel Tucker with the Brinks truck, just backed that thing up, and you know he was apparently at a uh, Colorado Boosters dinner that night. Uh, you know when Michigan State sweeten their offer substantially um so we we heard from um i think it was from from our winning cures any everything buddies that uh uh sent us sent us this tip that you know fickle was interested and he was msu's number one choice but they interviewed two other people before they talked to him and then gave him a call and he like he 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 would have been interested but wanted to be really confident that that he had their full backing and um they they really they really bungled it like they bungled many things well, administratively and, over the last five years. And I mean, given the way they hamstrung themselves with the timing of D'Antonio leaving, I mean, and we can say whether that was D'Antonio's situation or what the internal things were, well, you know, whether they were blindsided or whatever. I mean, the bottom line is they had put themselves behind the eight ball so much in terms of where they were in the year. Uh, and and where all these other guys were and where Fickle's feeling like he is right now, where Narduzzi's feeling like he is right now, that they pretty much had to 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 be perfect in everything that they did from that point on. And it was and they weren't. And right, like Fickle's probably thinking like, look, you got to bowl me over here because I'm right in the middle of the offseason right now. And you this is not the right like I've if I was going to make this decision, I would have made it by now. Not at this weird time you're bringing it up. So, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. Not 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 the greatest job by Michigan State, but hey, that uh, discuss to your point you brought up on the last pod. 
this is the kind of thing we want to be seeing, you know, heading into a, a season opening game against Michigan State, you know? Hell yeah, it is. And um, let's let's be clear. Sorry, Sammy, but uh, Luke Fickle's got more talent coming to Cincinnati next year than either Michigan State or Colorado. And that's true. And like, you know, some other people reached out to me on Twitter today. Uh, thanks, Kat, for, uh, for <laughs> mentioning it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not broken up that Mel Tucker left Colorado. It's, you know, it, it is what it is. Like, I, I'm not going to begrudge a guy for doubling his salary. I mean, if someone came up to you and said, hey, double your salary and move somewhere else, tell me you're not going to say no. Dep- right. Depends where you're asking me to move. Oh, oh fair. That's fair. Um, but actually what's interesting, and this kind of uh, dovetails back to what we were talking about with, with Kalen there a second ago, um, you know, the possibility exists, and I, I don't know why he would do it, but if Eric Bieniemy, uh, you know, former Colorado running back, um, apparently there's been some initial discussions. Uh, he might be interested in, in taking the job at CU. If that happens, that would pretty much open the way for Kafka to step up at BOC. I don't know that Bianami's not going to take that job. I, I'd be surprised if he did. I just think this is funny because Mel Tucker wasn't making Eric Bianami money at Colorado. And he's not making Eric Bianami money at Michigan State either. Which is why, like, I'm like, to me, I'm like, Eric Bianami should be right, like, 1A at the list of any NFL coaching vacancy. So I'm like, if he's going to college, there, there better be a money bin you know, being built onto the side of his house. There is no money bin in Boulder. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, well, there is. It's just not necessarily earmarked for, for the coach of the football team, right? I mean, they've, like, pot's been legal there for how many years? And, like, they're surplus, they're, they've got a surplus, don't they? Yeah. That's not going to uh, college sports. Well, yet. <laughs> yet. Um, I, I just like the only thing I can think of, cause like the, the report that I saw that I shared with you guys earlier this evening is that, that there is some mutual interest, you know, I, the enemy absolutely should have been on a lot of lists, uh, as a, as a potential head coach this year, he interviewed a whole bunch. Um, and I don't know, maybe he's just put off by the whole, the whole NFL process. Um, college doesn't have a dramatically better track record in hiring um, African-American head coaches and in in, in, in big schools, et cetera. Um, So, but I don't know, like, like, like in some ways fits is the model here, right? Like a guy who comes, comes home to his alma mater, um, a guy who was a hero there as a player and comes back to be a hero as a coach. uh, that could be appealing to someone. Certainly it's not the same kind of dollars that you would get in an NFL team um, in year by year. It might be a lot more job stability and a lot less pressure and stress. Um, but it, it certainly seems that if the enemy wants it, he, he can get an NFL job um, next year or, or should be able to get an NFL job I, next year. I wonder had the chiefs gotten knocked out um, in uh, by the Texans or the Titans, would he have gotten a job? I mean, it seems like coaches, yeah, the, it seems the like teams were were really itching to fill those spots quickly, and you know that that's always been kind of the the issue with you know Super Bowl assistants 
don't get the don't get a real chance because most teams don't want to wait till the Super Bowl to hire their coach. <laughs> I I mean, if if you want to rush and get Mike McCarthy, I guess like sure. Who boy? Well, um, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.